Hello, I'm David Hepworth. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear, the latest of hundreds of chats Mark Allen and I have had over recent years, some between ourselves and others with musicians, authors, comedians, and other people we like. If you'd like to help make sure they continue, you might consider becoming a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash wordinyourear or just by liking or subscribing in whatever way you prefer. On with the show. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This word in your ear is brought to you thanks to NordVPN. And VPN stands for, remind me, Mark Ellen. I think you've it's virtual private network. Let me write that down. <laughs> virtual private network. Watch my, read my lips. <laughs> now, virtual private network is a way to keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in, either at home or abroad. It protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal your identity. And at the same time, it enables you to access the internet via servers in more than 50, count them, 50 different countries. This means you can often sidestep region restrictions and stream movies and TV programmes from all around the world. Do you know what I've been watching this week? Two odd things of a, of a, of a kind of football nature, although in neither case was I, was I watching them particularly for the football. One was that extraordinary clip I think I sent you of a, of a game that took place at, uh, at Charlton Athletics Ground. It's fantastic. Last week, which was entirely being contested by social media stars, yeah. wasn't it? YouTubers yeah. and the like. Yeah. And there, and there were how many people there, Mark? It sold out 27,000. 27,000 tickets. They could have sold Wembley, they said, three times. They had 3.4 million viewers on Channel 4 and 22 million streams on YouTube. That is huge. It's absolutely <laughs> it's huge. huge. <laughs> And it's a, it's a bunch of YouTubers playing football. Yeah, that's Actually, to see people like Chunks, Pie Face <laughs> and The Beast. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Is this the future of, of, of sport or is it the future yeah. of entertainment? It's absolutely astonishing. It also ties in with a thing I read somewhere this week that's saying there's never been a time uh, when the, the, the kind of interests and tastes of people in their 20s have been such a closed book to people in their 60s and 70s. Yeah, because they're going, who are these people? I mean, I've never heard of them. You know, they've appeared in, from, in, from nowhere. It's extraordinary. Absolutely incredible. And on a more serious note, the, the other interesting thing of a football-related nature that I saw, and, and, you know, bear with me, Mark, and go and look at this. It's on YouTube. It sounds very unpromising. 
It's Gary Neville talking to Paul Scholes on a on a. I've seen a, it. Have you seen the whole thing? I've seen thing? it. It's How incredibly funny. I think I watched the entire thing. It's about 18, 20 minutes long, isn't it? Well, no, I think, it's, I think you may not have seen all of it because it's in various different pieces. Because some of it's very funny and Paul Scholes is incredibly good value because he's yeah, yeah, yeah. straight and to the point and, you know, he'll give you an answer to your question. But the other thing is he talks about he's got an autistic son. Yeah. And I, I never heard, I've never heard anybody talk about this kind of thing, in the way that he talks about it. It stopped me in my tracks. Yeah, it is. It's really moving. It's it, extraordinary. It, it's extraordinary. The whole thing. It, you can find that on 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 the internet or or wherever wherever you get your videos. So anyway, uh, highly recommended. Gary Neville talking to Paul Scholes on the overlap. So back to NordVPN, you can uh, you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to NordVPN slash your ear, or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount off your uh, NordVPN plan and one additional month for free, and also a bonus gift, and it's risk free because there's a 30 day money back guarantee. As ever, you can get full details in the show notes. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Now, Mark Ellen, here are a bunch of tour dates that have been announced for the UK for May and June next year. And I'm going to tell you the venues and you're going to tell me who the act is. OK, you ready? In May, Ashton Gate Stadium, Bristol, football stadium. OK, Building Society Arena, Coventry. And then in June... Two dates at Old Trafford in in Manchester. Arctic Monkeys. There you go. Yeah, they're Something. huge, aren't they? It's. I, can I, I just continue one. with these dates? No, they're absolutely. Riverside more. Stadium, Middlesbrough, Carrow Road, Norwich, Hillsborough, two Hillsboroughs. Yeah. Uh, Swansea, the Aegeus Bowl in Southampton, two Emirates, and Malahide Castle in Dublin, Bella Houston Park in Glasgow. And I was thinking to myself, in their pomp, did the Rolling Stones ever play to that number of people in the UK? I don't think they did. Did they? Oh, that's a good... uh, You mean mean talk about the 1970s? No, I'm probably talking about later than that, because nobody played that bigger. No, that, those are similarly big shows in the 1970s. It got bigger later on. Yeah, they were sort of. But even U2 and people like that at, at the height, did they play to that number? I don't know. Well, I mean, they that... must have done a few Wembleys, but I mean, I I, I agree with you because Arctic Monkeys, who Arthur and I absolutely love, is one of those rare things when when they happened, which must have been in about I don't know 2005 when we were at the Word. Actually, I can remember Andrew Collins and I are both discovering them and discovering that they somehow activated something in our kind of inner teenager that, that made you think it would be fantastic to be 18 with the Arctic Monkeys around. They're just such an interesting group. Um, but you, they, then they kind of went to America and they sort of disappeared. And then they've come back and you had no idea how enormous their audience was. And I'm quite sure they'll sell those. I mean, they've done a couple of headline glass and stuff, but that's huge, isn't it? That's absolutely huge. And yeah. also, it won't be cheap... So, you know, I can't help thinking just how much money are they making out oh, yeah, of that, yeah. 
out of those kind of shows, you know. No wonder the likes of Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen don't retire, keep coming back, you know, because the paydays. God, if you're playing if a, you're absolutely know, 50, a 50,000 seater, and even £100 a ticket, I mean, yes, what's just ridiculous, Think it? about it. There's never been a... Which may account for why, uh, you know, Ian Brown <laughs> has has been out again in the last week or so. Um, to some hilarity, performing... That is um, an amazing story, isn't it? Go on. Well, just that, that Ian Brown, before social media, you could start a tour, and by the time Record Mirror had printed their review of your first gig at the Leicester de Montfort Hall, you'd be halfway around anyway, and they'd be saying, this isn't worth the, the ticket, you know, uh, 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 approach with caution. But with this, there was just an enormous explosion, wasn't there? Instantly on social media saying, this is unbelievable. I paid £45, £50 for a ticket to go to a 3,000-seat venue to see Ian Brown with no band. Just Ian Brown with effective... Well, Ian Brown karaoke. Ian Brown with backing tapes, wasn't it? Someone described him as butchering his own tunes. And, uh, and also, Ian Brown, let's be honest... Is is not the strongest member of, of of the Stone Roses in terms of his capabilities, and is the most um, most likely to be exposed if out on his own, um, without auto tune, etc., etc. Don't you think? And and not theatrical either. And even if he was, even if he was, we had this conversation yesterday. If Mick Jagger went out on his own with just a series of backing tracks, it, you wouldn't be captivated either. It's about See, balance, that's it's about that's theater. the key. That's the key thing to me is that, you know, on the face of it, you might say, go and see Ian Brown performing with a backing track, is in many senses better because it's going to sound like the record because that's what people want, usually, yeah. something to sound like the record. But I think what a singer appearing on his own in front of a backcloth, uh, just um, singing live vocals to his backing track, just indicates the great truth that what you like about bands is bands just have a kind of drama to them completely that if you if you take it away you're just looking at a bloke <laughs> and it doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter if that bloke is sam cook or ian brown it's boring you know what i mean because there's nothing to look at and and you know even if a band doesn't appear to do anything very theatrical it is by its very nature theatrical, isn't it? It is. It is. It's the internal eye, drama. It's the looks in, between them. It's the dynamic. Absolutely. Your eye travels around, you know, the stage, and you know, looking at and how what this person's doing and what that person's doing. Yeah, there, ev there, every that. every screenshot of the E Street Band is always a two shot, isn't it? It's never somebody on their own. It's somebody reacting to the drummer, the piano player. Well, the reason that, as I've said this loads of times, the reason The Last Waltz, the Martin Scorsese film about the band, supposed the last show, is the greatest in-concert film ever made, is it's all two shots. You never see a shot in that film of one musician. Yeah. It's always two or three or four. And it's always the way they're looking at each other. Yeah. Suddenly, a bloke on his own. A bloke on his own, it only works if if it's a comedian. Because a comedian is talking to you and yes. you're responding to him, her, you know. Whereas a solo singer on their own just looks ridiculous, you know. And it's just by its very nature boring. If, in addition to that, 
you possibly have difficulties with pitching <laughs> like Ian Brown does. Which Ian Brown famously does. I know. <laughs> you, you, you may be making a rod for your own back. Although I note, I'm just looking before we started recording this, I noted he played in Manchester last night and apparently loads of people took to social media, they always say, took to social, to social media, media. To, to say, actually, actually, say, actually, he's really good. You know, well, there's, so, there's bound to be a reaction. That was a reaction after the first gig. A lot of people said, I really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, it means a huge amount to a lot of people. But the idea that he's playing his solo material and not any Stone Roses stuff, as far as I can see, is also pretty peculiar. It seems like thin gruel, but who are we to know, Dave? And if anybody, anybody listening went and has anything to add to this, do please let us know. The Word Podcast, prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Now, if you were a Patreon supporter, you'd be, you'd be looking at this and not just listening to it. You'd also know that the record I'm holding up, which came out 50 years ago this week, is... What is it, Mark? It's Nuggets. There you go. It's Nuggets, the compilation put together by... Uh, Lenny Kay in, in what was it? It came out October the second, nineteen seventy-two, and I I think I'm right in saying that is the most well, the most famous, but possibly the most influential compilation ever released because it's the foundation of an entire movement, isn't it? An entire aesthetic. You know, if you think about the the acts that were on that Nas, Electric Prunes, The Seeds, uh, and Boy Duke's, Duke's Chocolate Watch Band. You know that whole that whole um, kind of aesthetic was what was carried through in the kind of underground magazines like Zigzag. It was the one of the main cornerstones of, of Mojo, wasn't it? Really, when we started that in nineteen ninety. And you look thing. at those kind many of social media. Many years later, many years yeah. later, it's yeah. actually more influential now yeah. than it was then. Yeah, I mean, because nineteen seventy-two. The interesting thing is, this is full of records that that were kind of forgotten in nineteen seventy-two. And most of them had come out in 1967, which was, if you think about it, it's only four, five, five years, years before. It's incredible, isn't it? And yet they That's seem the history. Point. Yeah, they seemed they seemed like oh, Lenny Kay has somehow dug up these things and found them yeah. and managed to clear the rights to them. You know, so first of all, it's a brilliant idea. It was Jack Holtzman's idea. Yeah, Jack Holtzman of Electra Records and got Lenny Kay to do it. Who did it terribly well, and it's beautifully packaged. Yeah, and it's fantastic sleeve notes and so forth. And it is, it is the coolest compilation ever compiled. No doubt about that at all. But its influence is greater. It has been greater over the last twenty years than it was in the thirty years before then. Because, as you say, that whole kind of aesthetic, which is seems to me to be always based on the idea that these people were too good and too strange to ever really be hits. To, but actually, to actually, ever... actually, nearly all of the songs on that actually were a hit in some in some degree. They did regional. quite well. Regional. They were regional in America. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It wouldn't necessarily be known by Not anybody. Not be national, no, no. No, it's a different thing. It doesn't exist in Britain, that kind of thing, you know, whereas America's, America's obviously big enough to do it. But it was... It's still that idea of the kind of beautiful losers, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Is the too beautiful why, for this world? Exactly. That's why people always want to tell you that whatever they happen to like, and it doesn't matter who it is, they'll say it's really underrated, because nothing makes people shrivel up more than the idea that the thing they like, everybody else likes yeah. as well. 
it's it's that idea that it's the thing I like that is just too good for it for everybody. Yeah, else there's so appreciate. many groups like that. I mean, slightly out of this kind of area, but there's groups like the Replacements and Big Star. Those oh, groups yeah. that kind of just big star, perfect. Impo- they summed it up. This too impossibly beautiful and fabulous to be commercial, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But, but the thing that struck me is that over the years there've been so many groups that when they arrived, you felt they'd come straight out of Nuggets' world. Yes. Because of the way they looked, I'll give you some examples: the Ramones, the Charlatans, yeah. um, REM, the Inspiral Carpets. You know, the hives, the white stripes, they just look like groups who've just literally been teleported from 1967. Anything straight out of that record. Absolutely. And uh, and if you ask them to give you a list of their influences, they yeah. would they would mention probably a load of groups that are on this on this kind of record, you know, that are I'm in the tradition of of that kind of thing. Um Do you know the funny thing about this record that just struck me this morning? I mean, it's brilliantly done. No it doubt is. about it. Absolutely brilliantly done. Faultless. It's clearly been massively influential. Is I don't like listening to it. Because I just... I don't like most of those groups. Because but I you like the idea of it. I like the idea of it. I know, exactly. No like the haircuts. But then it's, so I don't think the Americans knew how to record those kind of bands in those days, you know. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd rather listen to the pretty things or something yeah. like that, you know. To me, they just sound a bit, bit kind of thin. But, but uh, they're still at that tail end of, of that kind of early psychedelic period where they're actually songs. They're all only about three minutes long. They're no, not great psychedelic wiggers. It's quite interesting. No, and I think true. it's... I think it, I can't work out if it's nostalgia as well. Is it the first? Is it the first uh, record that came out that went back to the past as a slice of nostalgia? You know, there had been. It's certainly one of the first. I yeah. can't think. I can't immediately think of any others of. Because all the time. samplers that came out in the early seventies, you know, in the well, UK, that was new that, stuff. Totally different. That's brand new stuff, you know. So you know, and Robert Johnson. When that came out in 61 or whatever, okay, that was music from the past, but that was the first time you'd ever really been able to hear it. It wasn't nostalgia, it was just no, it was no, sure. stuff to listen to. So I think it's incredibly, uh, incredibly no, influential. Because not long after this, there was a compilation which Roy Carr and I think Charlie Murray did uh, called Hard Up Heroes. Do you remember that? Came out yes, with I do, yeah. label. And that was a load of stuff that had come out on Decker in the 60s and done nothing yeah. at all. But it had been mainly done by people like David Bowie and Joe Cocker, I think, and, yeah. and people like that. And But it, that was a kind of similar, a bit of a similar idea that, you know, ooh, let's go back to the past. Yeah, yeah. But the amazing thing, again, the past in those days was not that long ago. No, it was just a few years before. It's like we've said before, you know, in 1966, when the Beatles announced that they weren't going to put a record out for Christmas, an LP out for Christmas, EMI put out a collection of Beatles oldies, oldies. And those were records that in many cases had come out about a year before. And they were they were oldies, you know. The very idea of going back a year seemed extraordinary re- retro in in uh, in 1966. Whereas nowadays people go back many many years, you know. And That's ninety percent of what it's all about, isn't it? It it's is much more actually. It is back I mean, catalogue. The past seemed to be narrower in yeah, those yeah. days, yeah. whereas now it's absolutely enormous. And of course, we've been reminded of this this week with the death of uh, Joe Bussard, 
the American um, collector and archivist. kind of and archivist and evangelist for for the the era of the seventy eight and uh, and kind of acoustic country blues and hot jazz and so forth. If you've never seen a film called Desperate, I think it's called Desperate Man Blues. It is, isn't it? yeah, it is. Desperate Man Blues. Do with all make all haste to go and see it because it's um, I don't know about ten years ago, and it's, it's about Joe, and uh, it's He's filmed... such an interesting guy, isn't he? Oh, My God. God, I read a little piece about him, and the headline was uh, Joe parties like it's nineteen twenty nine, which is so <laughs> great because he was collecting, you know. Uh, groups like uh, the Ross Deluxe Syncopators and the Beale Street Shakes and Long Cleave Reed and Little Harvey Hull. And it's all 78, isn't it? And if you think about it, it had he not, and he had, I think I'm right in saying, 25,000 yeah, 78 yeah. records. I mean, that's astonishing. And made a living out of, well, A, broadcasting, and B, buying uh, records and, and uh, I think occasionally selling them on. But also he started a, a label where he recorded old-time music, didn't he? New versions of old-time songs. Well, he so was made a living person, out of it. His first person to record John Fay, I think. Yeah, John Fay, uh, exactly. Um, very early on. You know, he, he's one of those characters. You, you, you watch that film and you think, wow. God, what an extraordinary person. But then you th- you occasionally see glimpses of his wife and daughter and you think, my God, what's it like to live with Can a you imagine? <laughs> the entire domestic setup is dominated by the 25,000. 25,078. 78s. But it, the thing I warm to about him is that, um, I mean, he's a terrific performer in front of the camera. Large cigar usually yeah. smokes as he as he listened to some old fiddle tune and um, stomped his very spot. enthusiastically, incredibly I mean, that's, enthusiastically. That's the thing I love and oh, really love winningly actually. When he did yeah. that, you couldn't help but love him. And uh, yeah, he wasn't but, collecting those things for kind of serial numbers or because it was some no, kind of autism. No, you know, he genuinely really loved, loved the, music. the music. Totally loved it. Loved the music and I thought loved it would the recording. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he used to accumulate this stuff. They lived in, in Maryland, I think, and uh, and uh, over the years, just used to go to used to go to houses in the south. And he'd go on the other side of the tracks where traditionally the you know, black population lived. And he would go knocking doors, house to house, and say, "Have you got any records?" Yeah. And, uh, and increasingly, people didn't really know what he meant by records. And he had to explain that he wanted these big round things. That were, oh, yeah, there's a bit in the film where he... Did you see the bit where he goes to knock on the door of, of a place that appears to be an illegal moonshine still? <laughs> and it's fantastic. And, uh, and he suddenly thinks he's made a terrible error and these people come out with guns, you know. And then they, they say, hang on, you're Joe Boussard. You know, we listen to you on the radio. Fantastic, come on in. So he had a kind of local fame too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But I mean, the the only way you found these records was, you know, going going around houses, and you find them in the basement where they've been laid in, ignored for forty years, yeah, or something. But he was he, the thing I really liked about him was that he was he was categorical 
in his views about what was good music and what was bad music. So he said, you know, after 1932, it's all over. Oh, he said, jazz, jazz ended in 1933. He said, the last good country song was Jimmy Murphy's I'm Looking for a Mustard Patch, which came out in 1955. <laughs> and he was absolutely categorically, that's a fact. And it's indisputable. I like that. I like that. I really yeah. like that. Sorry, but you're wrong. You know. <laughs> yes. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And uh, anyway, if you've never seen Desperate Man Blues, do go and see it this weekend. It's fantastic. Joe Bussard. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. We love talking to our Patreon birthday guests, don't we? And we did uh, a couple of, uh, recorded a couple of fantastic ones That's this so week. so interesting. And uh, we had Phil Turner, who, who was telling us about, um, he'd been seeing Roy Wood no end of times, you know, and so he could tell us, tell us the shape of an evening with Roy Wood. I very much, there's intelligence I consider very valuable. That oh, it was, it was so well observed. And all about his Christmas shows. You've seen his yes. Christmas show countless yes. times. He said that the key factor about his Christmas shows is they never changed. <laughs> they had exactly the same set list, which worked year in, year out. There's and like also Chris. the whole idea that Ron, Roy, Roy Wood, Roy, I think he said Ron Wood, Roy Wood was, was a, a, a massively underrated because um, your association with Roy Wood is a kind of, you know, bad-looking geezer with a... You know, with a kind of knotted beard, isn't it? And 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 somehow you, it's hard to take him seriously. And yet, was yeah. an absolutely fantastic and prolific songwriter. So, in some way, it respects his own worst enemy. Very interesting. Really I've also realised in the course of that exchange that we've just had that uh, Roy Wood and Ron Wood are two rock stars separated by a single letter. Can there be any other examples where you could say the same thing? Oh, that's good. We await your feedback. And the, the second birthday guest that we talked to, a birthday patron supporter that we talked to this week, was Matthew Elliott. And Matthew was unique. We recorded this first thing in the morning, which, uh, which suited us. But it also suited him because he's a teacher and he had to do it in the classroom while one of his colleagues waited at the classroom door to keep holding me from, <laughs> from streaming in. He said, I'm going to have to go. They were kind of banging on the door. We wanted them to come in and wave at the camera, actually. Oh, sir, sir. Yeah, uh, did you, did you tell was, them about your Elvis Costello collection? Yeah. He was fantastic. And he actually opened one of his birthday presents live in the middle of the uh, the recording uh, to reveal that it was a uh, mate who bought him an old copy of Keith Jarrett's Cologne Concert. 
from on the basis of which he told us the story behind the Cologne which concert. Which I didn't know. Did you know that? Which story? I didn't know, which I think we'll leave it to other people. You know, they they might other Patreon supporters may be care to go and have a look and find out more about those um uh, of the story behind that. Really and also, strangely enough, it was it was a wonderful example of the kind of you know how people are not as stereotypical as, as 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 people like to think. So the two poles of his kind of musical passions were Keith Jarrett and Taylor Swift. Yeah, which is not what you expect. That at was all. an interesting thread. I thought he said at the age of forty-eight, for various reasons, he kind of made a connection with Taylor Swift. He said he hadn't felt that way about music that it, that he'd bonded with it. That it meant that much since he was a teenager. I thought that was quite interesting, actually. What, so we love we love to hear from people. You know, we love to hear from birthday guests. And uh, if you want to be one of those, uh, you, you can find out about how to do that on patreon.com slash word in your ear. We look forward to hearing from you. Um, what else have we got to talk about, Mark? Well, the, the I thought the new Bruce Springsteen, the R&B covers album was interesting um, because Springsteen is doing a whole... Record, isn't he? Called Only the Strong Survive, coming out in November, I think, where he's covering a load of Debbie Gray and Commodores and Jimmy Ruffin and uh, Diana Ross and uh, Four Tops Walker Brothers uh, uh, songs. And it made me think of other uh, kind of cover version albums that I'd loved, of which there are quite a few, actually. And uh, and you you wonder why, when they come out, it's so exciting, yet they're kind of uh, the, the maybe... It's just the novelty of them disappears. But I'll tell you one I, I, I always adored was, was Moondog Matterday by the band, right. which is an absolutely amazing. It's got Ain't Not Got No Home, Holy Cow, Third Man theme, Promised Land. There it is, in fact. I've got it here. And Rick Danko singing A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke, which is it's just an absolutely gorgeous record. One of the records I've played most in my life, actually. Yeah. That's a good record. Yeah. I think the Springsteen Seeger Sessions record's good too. Mary Day it's a Weed, very that's a very good record. And yeah. actually, they were, they, they, when he toured with that Seeger Sessions band, it's one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it was. That was. How was with Odin? It's fantastic. Uh, no, I saw him at Wembley. Did you? Sure, I saw him at Wembley, and he was it was just sensational because he got, you know, there are no uh, there are no dips when somebody's doing. Yeah, you know, somebody else's material. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you pick the best stuff. Whereas when an artist goes out, generally they're playing their new stuff alongside yeah. their old stuff. Oh, it's new just stuff, wonderful. Trying to, trying to sixteen-piece band. It's fantastic. Suffer by comparison. I tell you what was uh, Irish uh, Heartbeat. Do you remember that one? Irish Heartbeat, the Van Morrison was... Chieftains record. Is oh, a really that's a good great record. record with Carrick Fergus and Star of the County Down. It has an, a, a, a kind of atmosphere of slightly forced jollity about it, but it still works. <laughs> I tell you what I've found yeah. here. I've got two records which came out quite near to each other. Yeah, that's David David Bowie pinups and Brian Ferry these foolish things. So that was when this kind of record came into vogue, isn't it? You know, the early 70s. Well, Ferry, that was Ferry's first solo album, which is interesting that he should do a whole album it, of covers. I think it, it was. was, was Extraordinary it? Yeah. And his second really. solo album was also cover versions another time. Was it? Place. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. He didn't start doing stuff. Uh, yeah, he did Hard you know, Rain, were, didn't he? Yeah. These Foolish Things. Which I always like, yeah. Hard Rain's Are Gonna Fall by... Yeah. Uh, by Brian Ferry. But, and uh, Bowie's pinup's got a great version of See Emily Play on it, I remember, and Sorrow, lovely version of Sorrow. 
And then there's this. John oh, Lennon yeah. and Rock and Roll. And, I always thought uh, a bit disappointing, actually. I don't know. It, Stand it, By very, Me is wonderful. It's very, it's very, uh, I think the only good track on there, and the only one I really like on this, Just Because, that's the last yeah. track, that's the Lloyd yeah. Price song. And, of course, we all know why he had to do this, because he'd... Um, he, he borrowed some of the words from Chuck Berry's "You Can't Catch Me" for um, for come together, uh, come together, yeah, come old flat up, and, yeah. and therefore Morris Levy he, he had to he had to agree that he was going to do an album of of old rock and roll favorites, yeah. and it's it's rather it's got the it's got the somewhat dead hand of Phil Spector all over it at that point, you know, it was just kind of overdoing it. But I mean, the, the, not, I mean, Paul McCartney did two, didn't he? Paul McCartney two. did a fantastic one. Absolutely, I've got I've got the Russian version which I bought in Russia. Right. There it is. Which is actually that's the Russian for back in the USSR. Which is oh, it's brilliant. Kansas City, Twenty Flight Rock, Lordy Miss Claudie. It's a great record, and he did it I think because Press to Play had come out a little bit before and had got incredibly tepid reviews, and he didn't quite know what to do, and he had various people in the studio. I think Nick uh, Garvey of the Motors, Mick Gallagher of the Blockheads, various people. And he just, in two days, just recorded all these old rock and roll covers. It's a really... And then had this great idea that he was going to put it out in Russia and make it look like it was somehow a bootleg that had been imported yeah. from Russia. And it kind of worked, actually. This, I mean, it's a terrific record. Really terrific. But he did it again, didn't he? Run Devil Yeah, he did. He did one with uh, David Gilmore and various people on it. Was that the one? Uh, Mick Green and... Mick Green uh, and the Pirates, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you are faced with the problem that once the kind of, once the novelty of having an old catalogue done by an, an, an artist that you feel a bit closer to, once that's gone, you're faced with the fact that they're never as good as the originals. No. Because they can't be, you know what I mean? Because... The originals are are kind of inimitable, aren't they? You know, yeah, and that, absolutely. It's you know Bruce Springsteen, you know. Unless made... you're trying to just do massive reinterpretations, there's a Cat Power record called the Covers Record, uh, where she does a version of uh, of Satisfaction by the Stones, which is really good, but it's just a. Uh, it's her being arch, really, you know. And there's a great. There's, there's let, a great let, let me guess. Let me guess. I think I, I don't. Even, I think I probably have heard that record, but let me guess. A kind of if you're if you're doing a kind of alt reinterpretation of kind of old favourites, satisfaction or whatever, doesn't that mean you just slow them down a little? You slow them down and do them slightly weirdly, with very little <laughs> instrumentation. <laughs> just basically slow them down. Yeah, yeah. Slow them down, and by slowing them down, you make them less popular, don't you? Generally speaking, because you know up tempo is what tends to work. I mean, you know, singing. If you're kind of, if you're going to cover a song by the Four Tops, you have to kind of fancy yourself a bit, don't you? Really, I think. Yes, I'm going to do Levi Stubbs' vocal, you know, in my own narrow range. You know. Well, it's like the whole business of doing Alleluia, isn't it? But Alleluia is like throwing down the mantle. It's in. I am now going to. Kind of, this is a this is a showcase for me. I'm going to show you what I'm capable of, but it's a it's a high bar. No good. Odetta sings Dylan. That's a good record. Do you know that one? Nine sixty five. No, I don't. Really good because they'd both been at the um, civil rights march and performed. I think in nine sixty three, and she does all these kind of civil rights 
uh, Dylan songs with God on our side, times they are a changing and masters of war. That's a good record. Do you know and, what the and, best and American is? recordings by Johnny Cash? Not bad, not bad. I think Bird on a Wire, his version of Bird on a Wire by Leonard Cohen. No, Brilliant. it's very good. It's very good. But do you know what the best is of all these records? Better than Moondog Matinee? Sure. Yes, yes, better than Moondog Matinee. I'll tell you what it is. Go on. It's the first Rolling Stones album. Oh, okay. The, the first Rolling Stones album is all but two tracks. Yeah. Of Slim Harpo, Jimmy Reed, Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters, Bo Diddley. Yeah. They're, they're American jukebox R&B hits done by... Uh, a British group at the start of their career, rather than at the end, as they tend to be done nowadays, these kind of records. It is still... There's, I, there's one There's one uh, Jagger Richards, isn't there? Tell me you're coming back to... Tell me. But that's the only one, to, isn't it? I mean, the rest two, are all covers. I, I think there's a... I think now I've got a witness as, a, as an instrumental, which is effectively... Oh, yes, it's on Nanka Films. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the rest of them are all... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, ...tunes by by their kind of R&B heroes. And I think it still holds up. And I'll fight anybody who says different. <laughs> the Word Podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. I know, uh, I know terrible band names is a very rich theme uh, for this podcast. <laughs> but I think we should, we should resuscitate it, actually, in, uh, uh, in the light of the fact that Johnny Burrell of Razorlight has a new group. And what are they called, Dave? Go on. They're cool. Surprise me. This is, I mean, this really is, the. I think, the most frightful name. They're called Jealous Nostril. I'll say it again. Jealous Nostril. I know, I know. It just It just sits there, doesn't it? <laughs> it just, <laughs> just, there's nothing you can do with that. It closes down the imagination. Don't you think? It's a shocker. Uh, along there with, I, I mean, mean... Go on. Isn't it? I, 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 read, I read this interview with him the other day, and I always hate doing that because I'll always come away from a Johnny Borrell interview feeling slightly angry with myself for, for taking the time to read it. He, he, I think the, the, the rationale behind choosing that particular name was, uh, you know, we just want people to underestimate, underestimate us. Um, I think that what he was trying to go for was this kind of um, this arty sort of view that if the name's really bad and people automatically think the group's rubbish, then they'll automatically be better than they think they're going to be, um, which is uh, non-secretary. It lowers your And it is going to be rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, um, so, so enlighten me, Alex, enlighten us. Um, mm-hmm. So Razorlight continues to exist. It, yeah, they do. Um, so this is, uh, this is a kind of, you know, this is a tangential project. So you've got to have a name that doesn't suggest that you're trying to steal Razorlight's thunder. Well, Razorlight clearly pays the bills because um, I occasionally play in a band with a member of Razorlight and um, and it was done, I think, a little bit begrudgingly. It took a while, but because so many Naughties bands are getting back together now and there's so much money. If Milburn can go out and, you know, forge a career then Razorlight can do it. You know, um, my guess is that Johnny Burrell wants this new band, sorry, Johnny Borrell wants this new band um, to to be his thing and Razorlight is just footing the bill for it, basically. He's always really desperately wanted to be authentic. He's just kind of got this, I think, I don't know, um, he's, 
it's sort of outsider mentality, but he doesn't profess it very well. You know, remember that enemy interview years ago when he said, "Oh, if, if Dylan's if Dylan's making the chips, I'm pouring the champagne," and um, it's full of stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I think this this is he wants this to be his thing, but it will never be his thing when it, if it's called jealous nostril because it's, it's just oh. It's just, it deadens the whole concept. There are various, there are various group notes. Can you imagine going on stage first and saying, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. You've come yeah. a long way. Good evening, Wembley. Would you we are jealous nostril. Yeah. You won't be saying Wembley, jealous nostril. <laughs> yeah, Wembley, yeah. weather spoons. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we like it. Uh, we oh, are, Lord. We have been jealous nostril. What's the <laughs> name? Jealous nostril. Give me a J. Give me a J. <laughs> oh, my God almighty. Jealous nostril. Do you think people in 40 years' time will be talking about, you know, having got, gone to see the nostril at their first ever London show? Yeah, I was an early believer. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, so we were discussing so this. So groups, we were discussing this on one of those birthday podcasts, weren't we? We were discussing in in the light of Prefab Sprout. Prefab Sprout, the... See, I think... Prefab Sprout are one of those names that completely limits the degree yeah, does. of, of respectability, credibility that they might have. The acid test, I think, is if, if you can tell anybody over the age of 50, who's possibly a, a kind of non-music person uh, at a party, that uh, hand on heart, one of your favourite groups is Prefab Sprout, without feeling embarrassed about it, then, you know, then it's, it's clearly a bad name. Smashing Pumpkins, I think- another one. Do you think? Just you can I don't know. I think Smashing Pumpkins is great. Yeah, I, I, you know what I think actually. I think the key is picking something that's not slightly gross. You see, Pump, Smashing Pumpkins and Wet Leg are a prime example. They should be really, really bad band names, but to me at least, they're really oddly good and oddly dynamic because Legs and Pumpkins don't bring up any negative connotations in my brain, at least. However, nostrils are slightly icky, aren't they? Um, you know, and and Sprouts. Nobody likes Sprouts. I think the, so the, what's, the, um... what's the <laughs> I like sprouts actually. What's the story behind wet leg? Wet leg. So apparently, um, the the name came about. Um, they were just playing with emojis on their phone, and it was just the first two emojis that came up. It was the the water splash and the leg, and that was it. But wet leg is just one giant in joke anyway. So that's kind of their thing. That's know? right. That's uh, true. But there's no there's you no don't great feel depth got behind the meaning of the name. But there's certain groups, the baby, no, they uh, were... baby shambles, limp biscuit, limp biscuit, terrible name. Surely, I don't know. Well, yeah, that hasn't all... held. That didn't hold them back. Did didn't it? hold them back. Arctic monkeys. I still think it's a terrible name, actually. But again, it doesn't matter. Worst name for a group ever, the Beatles. So you know. What, yeah, what... there you go. Great names for groups. De La Soul. Wonderful mm. name. The Libertines. R E M. R E M is fantastic. Again, it's one of those names where. Where once you discover what it is, it's even more magical what REM means, you know. Talking Heads, fantastic name, I think. Foo Fighters. The, the Clash, I love The Clash. Yeah, that's a good name. It's just so, so dynamic and final. It is. So, it is. so of all the many groups you've been in, Alex, mm-hmm. what's the most ridiculous name that any of them have had, even for just a, a couple of days? Uh, the Snuggle Whippers. Snuggle Whippers. Okay. Yeah. How long did they the last? Snuggle Whippers. Oh, God, a few weeks. Um, and they're all songs about seagulls and things like that. 
you know, <laughs> expected to be um, <coughs> taken that a genre? By Songs about seagulls. <laughs> yeah. It should be. What kind of man? Well, they're just one of those kind of seagull song bands, you know. Yeah, sea- seagull rock. Seagull rock. Seagull rock. Yeah. yeah. More songs Things. about seagulls and chips. <laughs> There's a, oh, there's a band called. I just remember this. There's a band called Ken Dodd's Dad's Dogs Dead. Dead. Oh, sorry, yeah, Ken yeah, Dodd's yeah. Dad's yeah. Dogs Dead. Yeah, yeah. We used to do just these as, as page fillers on Smash Hits back in the day. You know, let's do a list of ten terrible band names. Uh, Danger Quentin. There's a dog. The dog behind, behind you. you. That's right. Uh, that kind. Of <laughs> dogs die in hot cars. Dog, sort of yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just. Uh, the yeah, entire people... crew of the HMS Ark Royal was a band called that, I can remember. I thought it was quite funny. Actually, have I told you that I keep a spare band fly. name list? I keep a spare band name list on my phone, just in case anybody needs to form a band at really, really short notice. Get it out! I want oh, to see have you got it, it there? Got, Go on. Get it there. That's a I've really got, good I've idea. I've got you covered. Got you covered, mate. It's all right. Here we go. Oh, this is brilliant. I'll give you a band name. There we go. So this um, is, Alex, here, so get this straight. When did you, you just phone. jot these down when you're in a... In a bar or something like that, with a load of other people thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Whenever on, somebody says something that I think might make a really good band name, I'll just try a really terrible one. I just jot it down. Um, so I'll just I'll go through a few. Intermittently Chickens. Um, no. Johnny Woman. Johnny Woman's Johnny a great Johnny's my jo- name. Johnny, Johnny I, I came up with that. With it. yeah. I think you did, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, a good name. Care. Successful Failure. No. Second Terrible. dinner, um, and quiet party, fat salad. I've got, I've got fat salad's clear, good. That's a really this good is name. Clearly, clearly a drunk one because I've got high praise, then high praise indeed in brackets album, then Hugh praise, then Hugh just praised, then high praise in brackets with full stop. It's very specific. Got all bases covered there. Eighty-four days of muesli. Um, Not bad. It's so John Peel, isn't it? So John Peel 82. Potential Steve. And then I've Potential got Steve. Meat Raffle. That's meat Raffle, two good. separate words. Then Meat, meat Raffle, good. two separate words, lowercase. Then Meat Raffle, one word. Um, again, you know, just in case there's, you know, uh, some pernicketiness. Yeah, Historians yeah. of the future, soup fantasy. Um and it goes See, on. I, uh, I, um, I, I, I've never been in a group, but if I was in a group, if I was in a group, I'd think of the name first. I can never believe... Before you joined. I, I can never believe that the bands, uh, we did a load of gigs before we had a name and then we suddenly needed a name. I thought, God, don't be, how could you possibly do that? You know? Do you find that that's what people do, Alex? Uh... I don't really know because I've been playing other people's music. I've been pretending to be other real musicians for so long now. Um, I've kind you of forgotten remember. what it's like to uh, to form a real being band. A real band. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, there you've got a list of names if you do that. Uh, so you know that's a good thing. But mark my words: the best of those names is Johnny Woman. I you still win. think it's. I'm it sorry, is. it's a great name. It's, it's a, great a great name. name. You can have it. It's a. It's a women group. It's a men group. It's a mixed group. It doesn't matter. Johnny Woman. This podcast was brought to you by the Word.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.